just again a warm welcome to you if you're visiting with us this morning. This is the last sermon in a series that um, we've spent the last number of weeks exploring the early church and us. Now, uh, I've lost track of actually what week we're on, which is quite cool. Um, can anyone help me out there? Is it seven or eight or something or nine or whatever? We're, we're really new. And so what we thought could be quite cool was to look at what did the early church really focus on as they started? Because it's quite cool to think that in Acts chapter 2, like it was a new church, brand new. And so they, they committed themselves, it says in Acts 2 verse 42, to a number of things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, shout out to Ross. Ross uh, was saying that he's been listening to the podcast. Now, Ross and Rosie are amazing. They serve in our Bay Kids every other week. And, um, and the danger, no, that's awesome. Like, I'm all over that. The danger is that you can kind of get a bit disconnected from what um, us as the adults are kind of doing and our little walker as we kind of journey together. And um, so Ross has been saying that he's been listening to all the podcasts when he's been missing them. So uh, you get player of the day, Ross. Well done. And um, free cheeseburger. So, um, and, I, you know, I feel bad about inflicting me upon you midweek, just, you know, listening to headphones or in the car. It's really awkward and weird thought. But uh, not only do I, would I love you listening to this podcast, but I'd love you to be devoted to teaching. Just immerse yourself. There's so you, we get immersed in a worldview, but when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we just immerse ourselves in the story of God. And so that's why the early church did that. They really devoted themselves to that. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And so we started by groups and we had the big feed and we've done these things that have just been, our way of expressing our devotion to community here. It's not too late to get into a Bay group, but um, we just want to do everything we can to enable that to happen. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is why we do communion every week. And uh, lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. So we've been exploring what does it look like to have a private world with Jesus that's growing and flourishing. And again, in the Greek, we looked at the, the fact that it says they devoted themselves to the prayers. It wasn't just a prayer. Uh, and so I've become a very big fan of uh, having prayers that I use to shape my prayers that are wiser than me, that are been vetted by the church, that have more depth than I could ever come up with. And I make them my prayers to God. And it, and it forms me. Prayer is primarily about the formation of my soul, not twisting God's arm to do something. Um, and so these prayers help shape my devotional life with the Lord. But also when prayer, when we do pray, things happen. So we've been using these prayer cards, which we have at the information table, to pray for our friends that don't know Jesus yet. And just targeted scriptural prayers that can just really, that we've seen incredible fruit from. So um, now what I want to do today is just look at a few verses down. Uh, and so let's, uh, Michael, do you want to bring this on the screen? So we're going to look at from verse 44 and, uh, and look at this last bit here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I want to zoom in on today is this whole idea that there was just this radical generosity in the early church like radical generosity, like they're selling property and they're just sharing all that they have. Now, um, this is the, the worst nightmare for a pastor is that visitors would turn up when you're going to talk about generosity. It's pretty much like the worst case scenario. Um, and the Lord seems to have brought a number of visitors to us uh, today. Uh, and as you were all turning up, I was like, no, Lord, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
this is the sort of talk that's always preferable to have with those that know you and we've done a few weeks together and whatnot. But let me therefore outline a couple of, um, <laughs> couple of things. Um, one of the most beautiful and, and, and a, um, characteristic of, of Christians throughout history, not just the early church, has been radical generosity. And the reason why is because there's this desire for earnest Christians to be like Jesus. Like that's it. It's like Jesus. I mean, God so loved the world, he gave what was most precious to him is one way of explaining John 3.16. Like, he's just beautifully generous. Now, I know that this is, like, awkward already, but can we just ignore that for a second? Just think about how good it is that God's generous. Like, we all love hanging out with generous people, right? It's just the best thing ever. Well, God is that on steroids. He's just so beautifully generous. He's paying for your coffees if he's in the line at the cafe. He's, like, he's that uncle that spoils you a bit from time to time. And, you know, he's that guy. He's so beautifully generous. Um, so the reason that I want to explore this today is because it's in the text and because it's one of the, like the early church was like, how can we be the body of Christ? How can we be formed into Christ's likeness? The second reason that I want to explore this today is I want us to be healthy. And it's not healthy to avoid certain subjects just because it makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. And in spite of the perfect storm of past abuses in the church and the perfect storm of the idolization of money in our society, it's still a subject worth exploring. Okay, I'm going to read a bit more than I normally do because I'm a bit nervous about this one. And the third, the third, because I really want it to be clear, the third reason I want to explore it very early on in our church is because hopefully the question of motives can be removed today. Um, I long for us to be a radically generous church in every way, to be free and just to bless people. Um, and so this isn't a message because I'm concerned about the finances of our church. That is not my motivation today. I'm genuinely not. It's like, mate, you guys have been great, beautifully generous. So that's not my motivation, okay? Um, and uh, the, the motivation isn't because I want a new Harley. Um, I'm currently not paid by this church. Um, and so my income is not going to change uh, in terms of anything to do with uh, your giving. Um, it will one day. Well, I mean, it won't change depending on what you give. It's not... <laughs> I, I, don't get, I don't get commission on, on it's not a scale like, oh, ties are good, we'll pray a little bit more past us. Uh, nothing like that. Um, uh, but here's the, the motivation is that I love what I see in the early church and I long for us to be a beautiful vibe, a uh, beautiful bride and vibe. Um, so, so listen to me, if you're hung up about my motivation, can you just ignore giving to the church while we think about this subject? Complete, just take it from the table, off the table. If you're like, oh, here we go again. And again, for other visitors, I'm sorry. Um, but just let's take the church thing off the table if it's going to make it easier for you to listen today. Because the Bible calls us to be generous in three places very clearly. It calls us to be generous to the church. Let's take this off the table. But it also calls us to be very, very generous to the poor and those that are struggling. And it calls us to be generous to one another. So let's just, if it's a struggle for you, let's just look at those two places and dream about what a more beautiful, generous lifestyle can look like. Um, and so uh, that's, there's, there's that. Okay. Um, so let's look at what Jesus, now Jesus talked about money so much. And there's a, look, really honestly, there's a sick part of me that enjoys talking about this because it is such like this massive deal in our, in our wider culture. And it's so fascinating. Jesus banged on, because it wasn't any different back then. 
right? It was like this big deal back then, and we're going to explore as to why. So Jesus talked about this a lot. So let's have a look at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked about money. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is this massive manifesto for the Christian life. Like we get hung up on, you know, I get tired of church politics and all that rubbish because it's like, you know what? Our job is to read the Sermon on the Mount and live it. That's kind of it. And like, so that's the main thing we're meant to be talking about and focusing on and exploring and wrestling with. And um, I was meeting up with a, a legend that's recently joined our church this week. And he was talking about um, this lovely line he said. He said, in Jesus, there's a better story. I just love that. Now, we've got to wrestle with what that better story looks like because the Bible can be confronting on certain things. But if Jesus talked about this a lot, which he did, it's because there's a better story than the one that our culture says we can live in. And so this is where the Sermon on the Mount is so fascinating. So let's jump into this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Oh, cool, got the same translation. Like vermin. We don't use that word a lot these days, but that's cool. Found a few. Man, Napier's got a few vermin, eh? Like it's just, it's a lot warmer than Christchurch. So we're discovering vermin from time to time. That It's always my job to squish the vermin. Um, anyway, rather large vermin as well from time to time, aren't you? Hey, Jen. All right, let's go back. Uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, you moss and vermin destroy, but, and where thieves break in and steal. But store... Up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Then if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve both two masters. You will either hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's really, it's a, it's a dense passage. There's quite a bit going on there. So let's work our way through what Jesus is saying here. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, and then in verse 20, uh, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So basically, Jesus is saying this. Have an eternal perspective about life. Have an eternal perspective about life. Don't just worry about what's happening here on, in the worldly realm, but think about an, an eternal perspective about everything in your life because when you choose Jesus, eternity is in your hearts. And there's this lovely hope that we have. Now, um, Francis Chan, who's an outstanding speaker, used this illustration, um, which I'm stealing this morning. Uh, and he talked about, he said that some of you guys may have seen this, but he, he said this, imagine, there's a whole lot of, tangle here. Whatever, you get the point. So imagine that this rope uh, goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And this rope uh, is the timeline of your existence. And this little white part here is your time on earth. And he, now there's all sorts of Stephen Hawking stuff going on here with the whole um, kind of, yeah, so I don't know what he would make of that, but um I don't know what's happening on there. That may be the rapture or something. I'm not sure what your theology is, but um, anyway. Uh, and, and so he's, he's fascinating. I love this little, you can look it on YouTube. It's very interesting. He says it, says it very eloquently. But he says, people look at the way that we live our life and they're like, you're crazy to, 
to be volunteers at this age and stage of your life <laughs> and to live by faith or to, you know, you're crazy, Domigans, for leaving, you know, Christchurch and going through all the complications of selling your home and, you know, that didn't go so well financially. And then, you know, all, it's just nuts. Why would you do that? Why would you live like that? That's crazy to, to, to do that. And Francis Chan's like, kind of in light of this, it's crazy just to be focused on this. Actually, I want to live a life that actually has this in mind in terms of how I live now. And he's like, I look at your life, as Francis Tan, and I agree, and I'm like, you're crazy for just focusing on this bit. That's crazy. Like when, when, when Jesus is like, you store up for eternity treasures. Like, you know, our, our dream is that we would populate heaven and that we would see heaven break into earth. That's our vision. That's our dream as a church. And so we're going to do whatever it takes because that's the richest life you can possibly live. And again, Jesus um, exposes our hearts where it's like we just want to have the control and security and all this sort of stuff, thinking that somehow that's the better story. Can I just say in our experience, this life of radical generosity is the better story. It makes you richer in all the ways that truly matter. And particularly in terms of uh, feeling that your life is meaning and significance and the things that really matter, focusing on the priority of relationships rather than things, all these stuff you'd all agree with, but it's so hard to live sometimes. And so Jesus says, uh, have an eternal perspective about how we use our money. Don't just have it, uh, have this kind of short-term perspective. Uh, And and he he says... uh, it's crazy. Everyone's living for this little white bit, but Jesus turns up in our lives and says we live for eternity. And so uh, Jesus says this. Then Jesus goes on this. Do you want to bring it back up? Oh, yeah, here we got it. Jesus then does this kind of like record scratch bit in the middle of his little talk where it's like, you know, for we are treated as your heart will be also awesome. And then he starts talking about eyes and lamps. And it's like, what on earth has this got to do with what you're talking about, Jesus? Like, now Jesus was a lot better communicator than I am. So I go on tangents, and some of you may be like, how on earth does this fit with what he's been talking about? And that's a good question to ask. And I realize sometimes on my tangents, oh dear. <laughs> We need to go back here. Uh, Jesus wasn't like that. He was super intentional about what he said. So he goes on this little tangent, and this is what he's saying. Materialism has the power to blind you to your own materialism. It's not that people are hostile to the subject of greed. People are just absolutely sure it's not them. It's an I sin. So Jesus didn't have to say, watch out you know, when you're committing adultery. That's pretty obvious. That's not your wife. You know, it's like, okay. Jesus didn't have to say like, you know, this is kind of what it looks like when you're committing adultery. He did when it comes to greed. He had to say, you've got to watch your eyes. Because all you need to do is know someone more greedy than you. And then you say, I'm not greedy. It's not my problem. And we become blind to that sin. If you're sitting here this morning going, this isn't a problem of mine, that's a very bad sign. It's a sign which is saying, I'm sure it's not true of me. And it's, it's, it's a sign that probably it is. <laughs> and so this outworks itself in lots of ways where we can be blind to the effects of this in our lives. Sometimes people will choose a job and it's not a job they're good at or a job they'll necessarily enjoy. It's not one that helps people, but it will be one that makes them a lot of money. 
So sometimes people will choose that job and there's an adrenaline rush that can carry you, I reckon, for up to maybe five years. I've, this is all theoretical. <laughs> I've been in ministry full time. So, uh, But looking on at friends' lives that have made choices where it isn't a job for them, but it's a job that pays well, so they're going to do it. There is a high in that. But then around the five-year mark, you realize you're empty. Why did I choose this job that's sucking my soul and consuming so much of my time? It's because your eye was blind and your eyes were dark. And so um, it's really interesting when you look uh, at how people have wrestled with this in church history. So in relatively recent times, in 1635, so that's, well, it's not that recent, it's about four, five hundred years ago, um, but in terms of church history, somewhat. Um, So people were like, how do you... How do you outwork this? Like, how do you work out whether you're greedy or not? It's really interesting. I've been a pastor for um, uh, 15 years now, and uh, I've had people come into my office for all sorts of things, struggling with anger, pride, um, lust, you know, has been pretty much a regular thing. Um, You know, but no one's ever sat in my office and said, I really struggle with greed, ever. And so... So some churches back in the day were like, okay, let's work out where the lines are in terms of what's greedy and what's not in business. So some of you guys run your own businesses and stuff. So this particular church uh, was the first congregational church in Boston. And in 1635, they all sat down and they had a meeting in light of this, which I, I admire. Like, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> we're not going to do this. But they had a meeting and said, okay, what percentage are you getting greedy in terms of profit on top of what you're selling, the margin that you're... And so they decided that um, that 4% was an appropriate profit to make on goods that you'd sell and that anything more than that was greedy. Now, uh, we can't do that today just because it's so much more complex than that era 500 years ago. Uh, so, and again, we aren't, okay? It's <laughs> been so full on. They're like, we're going to call a meeting and we're going to decide at what percentage it's greedy in terms of your, you know, your small business you're running, whatever, okay? So whatever. But um, this guy, Robert Kane, um, did the sneaky and was selling some goods at 6% profit. And the church got wind of this and, um, and they, uh, he wasn't allowed to take communion for a little while uh, as, uh, as punishment for his, uh, his greed. And, uh, and so they decided, and this again, this is a congregational church and all the rest of it, so they held each other accountable. Now, now that's it's just an interesting story about how people have tried to wrestle with this stuff back in the day. But here's the interesting thing is, is that they were like, let's be accountable to how we live our lives because we can't trust ourselves to do this. Like it's too tricky to try and do this. And so there was a, so it's an interesting thought, you know, because Jesus kind of went to all the places we don't like talking about, like religion, um, you know, sexuality, money, and politics. Like they kind of pretty much is bread and butter. Like, and, and politics were full on. It was like, here's a whole new kingdom that we're going to just kind of put under this the kingdom you're already in with Caesar and whatnot. So, you know, there's political implications that could result in your death. Uh, you know, he talked about relationships a lot and it was beautiful in terms of what he was framing up there. He talked about money. It's sort of like he just went to all these awkward places. Like, imagine if it's like in our small groups, we made the rule you had to disclose your income your sexual history, and your political preferences and who you voted for in the last couple of elections. Like, that's kind of super awkward. Jesus kind of keeps going there. Now, again, we're not going to go there, but uh, 
but the question is this, like how do we get freed from greed? And it's very difficult to do on our own because we get so blinded by, uh, by our eyes. We can't see it. And certainly the reality when you're bombed today with 20,000 different adverts and things saying buy, consume, you'll be happy if you have this, cool people wear that, that's what you should have, that's what you should do. They constantly get fed by that. Then it's very difficult to have another narrative become your central narrative, which is why we have to immerse ourselves in the teachings and the way of Jesus to be freed from the lies and to walk into beautiful truth. So uh, verse 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. The place you really served is really revealed by where your money goes. And it's interesting because um, money has this way of giving significance to people. Um, uh, last, this time last year, one of my friends in Christchurch, he travels for business just like crazy. So he's, um, he's elite Gold elite. So in New Zealand, there's different statuses. Um, Jade, which is where I live, and most of you. It's just so, like, thanks. Um, and then you've got silver, then you've got gold, and then you've got gold elite. And gold elite means you just, you know, you're in a planes a lot doing international stuff. And so he's gold elite. So he gifted me, because he's gold elite, he could gift one of his friends or his wife, but he chose me, uh, <laughs> access to the Koru Lounge. Now, it's about to expire, which I'm gutted about. But for the last year, because um, uh, the second half of last year, I travelled a lot just uh, domestically uh, to speak in different churches to help put bread on the table for us. And so uh, I was, he was like, dude, you're the only guy I know that's going to be travelling a bit, so I'd love to bless you with this. And I'm like... <laughs> and so I, I'm, I've been walking into the Koru Lounge. And now the... the the classic thing is there's no one poorer in the Koru Lounge in terms of income than me. Like, there's probably no one happier either, but uh, I'm in the Koru. And there's this thing about money and stuff. And I walk in there and I'm like, ooh, these are my sort of people. <laughs> people of influence and people of means and the politicians and the movers and shakers and minor New Zealand celebrities. And it's sort of like, ooh. And um, I get to pick my seat on the plane and I pick good seats. And, you know, there's this kind of like, ooh. And I can just see the seductiveness to this sort of stuff where it's like you, you can have significance and you can feel superior to others because of this money. It becomes a treasure for us. Um, people take money and make it their, their security. I need money so I'm safe. Money is your security. So to try and have some sense of control in an uncontrollable world. But Jesus says, these things can't add a minute or even an hour to your life. God is in control of all of that stuff. And so uh, how do we know that we can grow? You know, how can we grow in freedom when it comes to this whole greed thing? Well, Tim Keller, I uh, listened to a talk by him, and he suggests a couple of really interesting observations that are good self-checks around how we're doing on this whole thing. The first he said is this, how do we react to rich people? He says this, uh, do you resent them? Do you disdain them? Do you feel superior to them because you're not rich? Or because of we, you look at their homes. This, he says, however we react to people that have more money to us, reveals that money still has a power over us. That reaction reveals it. If you envy rich people, money still has a power over you. If you feel you know, ironically superior to them because you don't need all of that, it means that money's got a hold over you still. Interesting, eh? Uh, 
And he says this, to be freed from this, uh, has, he constantly comes back to this, which I love. He says this, to be freed from this mindset, you've got to really have a revelation that you are more sinful than you ever did believed and that you're more loved than you ever did hope. That's what frees us. The more sinful bit keeps you feeling superior to people, including rich people, and the more loved keeps you from feeling inferior to people that are wealthy. And therefore, the gospel puts you in a place where you're freed from that. How cool is that? I mean, it's so true. The journey of our lives is to discover, which is why we do things like the confession, I'm in need of your grace and mercy. I'm more sinful than I'd ever dared imagine. You're worse than you think you are. And simultaneously, you're more loved than you ever did hope. Ever did hope. It's wider, longer, deeper, higher than you could ever imagine, and it's you. It's channeled, it's focused at you. That's what frees us from this. So a good test is that you can love rich people. You can just love them and just be totally cool with where they're at. The second test, he says this, is that you respect poor people. You respect poor people, that you go into conversations with people that may be struggling financially, expecting to learn something, expecting to learn something, expecting to grow. You don't look down your nose at them. You don't presume. You don't put a backstory that may not be true or anything like that, but you actually respect them. And the third thing is that he says, as we allow the gospel to shape our worldview is that we get really, really generous. So in this passage, uh, Jesus says uh, in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, if the eyes are good, they're full of light. And the Greek there, the word good is this word hapolos, and it means generous in the Greek. So you can have a generous eye. If you've got a generous eye, then your whole body is healthy. And so Jesus is this, this sense. The invitation of Jesus is interesting in this whole thing. He invites us to come to a place where he is our treasure, where he's our treasure. He's the one that we just long for and love and intimacy with him and communion with him. He becomes the ultimate treasure. And when he does that, there's this thing that happens where our eyes get healthy and we actually start looking around just going, how can I bless? How can I be generous? And so uh, the, the, the invitation is that we would live that sort of life. Now, uh, to the church, yes, but that's not the focus of the sermon. Uh, but in, just in every way, especially to the poor. Like we live, all of us in the room today are in the top 8%. Most of us would be flirting with the top 1% or 2% believe it or not. And, uh, and so we just are in this position of incredible opportunity and, and means and wealth. And, and not only overseas, but in our country, there are people that really struggle. And so uh, the uh, invitation is, what does it look like to be radically generous? Jen is going to kill me, but I'm going to face the consequences later. That's okay. Uh, Jen, um, it's really hard when she's right there as well, but... Um, <laughs> Gonna look over here. Uh, <laughs> just before we got married, Jen went to Nepal, uh, and was that your first time in the developing world? So, uh, at the age of twenty-seven, she went to Nepal. Uh, and can I just say that that I personally think every follower of Jesus should, at some point, go to the developing world just to have a kick around, not. 
because you necessarily feel like you're going to be called to missions long term, though that may happen, but because it will give you a correct perspective about New Zealand and how we live here because we live in a very, very luxurious, beautiful country and most of the world live in struggle and in poverty. And so it's just very good. And I can't wait in time. I'm sure we'll do missions trip and, and we've got a real heart, you know, that we would serve locally and internationally just very, very strongly on the whole realm of mission. Jen goes there and what will happen and what happened to Jen is your heart gets utterly broken with what you see. Like it's just, because it's not theory and it's not TV, it's people you've become friends with and it's stories and you're in their homes and, and you're seeing the joy in spite of just the struggle and uh, it, will, it will give you God's heart and it will fundamentally change hopefully your priorities in the here and now. So that happened to Jen. She was, I remember um, we just started dating so it was... Um, it was pretty intense there for a little bit in terms of the number of emails she was getting from me and um, and the desperate need I had to Skype her and uh, and so we uh, a number of times I remember Jen just uh, just really broken with what she was witnessing and some things you know she could barely talk about in terms of what she witnessed there and so she came back and um, and we're living in Christchurch and uh, in time she set up a dance class. And um, she was like, I want all the profits of that class to go to Compassion Nepal, which is a mission organisation that some of the guys that went on that trip set up. How cool is that for impact? So they set up a trust and they were like, um, the reality is that it wasn't the profits, it was all of the income uh, went to, and we had a few discussions as married uh, husband and wife around whether, but Jen didn't want to give any, buy anything for the thing. It was all, let's just spend our own money to buy the gear we need to run this. And, you know, and, and all, for a while, all the income, until I twisted her arm hard enough, went uh, overseas. And, and in the end, she, put, so this is nothing about me, Jen gave 30,000 New Zealand dollars to Compassion Nepal to serve the ministry and the, and the poor and, and what's happening over there, which is, you know, Jen's amazing, but she's not Bill Gates or anything. Like, she's not like, you know, Elon Musk or, you know, she's not some crazy entrepreneur that can just print cash. She's good at, she's good at dancing, and so she started a dance class, and people came and enjoyed it. And um, we've restarted that up, actually, but that's currently going to Compassion Harvey uh, because... <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's that situation. <laughs> We've got our own little sponsor, kids. <laughs> but I'm sure in time that'll change gears as we get paid and whatnot because um, it's, it's, the, it's the story we want to live. It's the better story of pouring your lives out to be a blessing to others. And, uh, and so I want to just invite you to think about uh, what this means for us, because I know this is an awkward subject to tackle, and again, I'm so sorry for all our visitors. Plenty of other awesome churches in the city, which I'm sure you'll um, probably find a home in after today, but um, it's been great having you here today. And, uh, we're just going to continue to take this ride together because I just want us to explore this, just because I want us to be healthy. I want us as a church to have a healthy eye where we're like, how can we just be beautifully generous and uh, to hold to that really high standard. There was, in the early church, I land with this, in the early church there was this, uh, this leader called um, Dignitas and he wrote this letter about Christians. He wasn't, um, he was ex- explaining because people were so fascinated about what was going on and he wrote this one line, he said this, we share our table with all but we do not share our bed with all. And so what he was saying is, is this, that the pagans were promiscuous with their body but stingy with their money. 
and that the Christians were stingy with their body but promiscuous with their money. And that's what was so fascinating for people that were looking on at this early church is they're like, wow, these guys are like doing the opposite to what we are just so used to. They're living so beautifully, generously. And so I want to encourage us to be promiscuous with our money, to, uh, to just be beautifully generous. It's the better story. It's not easy. Like the way of Jesus always involves a bit of a cross. There's bits of us that have to die. We, we feel that. We've uh, wrestled with the cost for us as we've come here, really honestly. But the story doesn't end on Friday. It ends on Sunday with new life bursting into the world. Every time you pick up your cross and a bit of you dies, know that you will come out of the waters into new life. Know that the, the, the stone's been rolled away and there's this invitation to live a better story, a richer story, ironically, a richer story of blessing and looking back on your life and going, I live to bless others. I live to see others flourish. I may not have much dough in the bank right now, but I've got a God and I've got my family and friends who love me to bits. And I've got, a, I've, and I've got the story of just living my life to bless others. And so that's the invitation of Jesus. And the interesting thing is that it's by his spirit as well. It's not just, um, I come into to the gate and it's going to dock with the plane in just a second. But... All of this stuff is an invitation. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So generosity isn't something you have to do to be approved or loved by God. Can we just make that crystal clear? This isn't about being good enough for God. The cross has made us good enough for God. Hallelujah. So we keep coming back to the table. Everything that then God calls us to is the process of sanctification from transforming us from glory to glory, from helping us to live up to what we've already attained in Jesus. This is the invitation to, be, to, to see heaven break into earth now. I want to live that sort of life. I, don't, I want to live with this eternity, but I want to see that eternity break into the present. So I want to do that by immersing myself in the way of Jesus. How does it look to live the way of Jesus in every dimension of my life? And so far, everything we've looked at is challenging. Prayer, challenging, and we're all not good enough. Devoted to teaching, challenging, and we're all not good enough, right? Everything, Fellowship, I mean, you name it, we fail, but the cross of Christ says that we've been accepted. And so we, we get rid of all the sin that so easily entangles and we press forward, we lean forward to that goal which is ahead of us, to run the race well, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been given in Christ Jesus and to one day see him face to face and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And come and enter into the rest and there is a reward. We don't talk about this much. There is a reward. That's not the motivation for being generous. It's just the goodness of God. That there will, He sees it all. And one day, the little bits we've done in here, there'll be an eternity of reward. It's a mystery. I don't know all the details of that, but the Bible's very clear. How we spend our time and money and all that now matters in light of eternity. It's not a salvation thing. So it's not, you're in, it's fine. The pay's the same in the sense you get in, but the rewards aren't the same. And there's something about there's this beautiful reward of living like Jesus in the present and in the age to come. And that's the invitation of God. And so we just got to wrestle with what that looks like. And here's, uh, we're, the, um, we're about to disembark, okay? So the doors, are, the doors have actually been opened and lots of us are standing, waiting to get off the plane and wondering why it's all the guys in business class, which I was once. Uh, <laughs> Once in, they've already left, uh, but the rest of us are. Where was I going to go? Um, 
this is it. This is it. We finished with this. We finished with this. Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. It feels like freedom when you live a more generous life. It feels like freedom. You're not in control of all this rubbish. It's almost like you see the matrix for what it is. Oh, that rubbish. It's, it's a hoax. It's not even real. And I get to live a better story and it feels like freedom. That's the, always the invitation of God. He moves us from a place of guilt and fear to grace and freedom. That's what he does. And that's his invitation with us on this rather tricky subject. Let's stand together and pray.